Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, December 16th, 2022 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, COVID-19 can live on these five grocery items for days from CNBC. And standing up straight might not be as beneficial as we thought from HuffPost. Plus, the number one snack to limit to reduce your risk of dementia from eating well. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. COVID-19 can live on these five grocery items for days. Here's how to consume them safely by Renee Ankiu from CNBC. At the height of the pandemic, Americans across the country were wiping down their groceries with antibacterial wipes for protection from COVID-19. And it turns out we now know that doing so may not have been completely pointless. Actually, COVID-19 can live on the surfaces of certain groceries for an entire week, according to a new study conducted by the Food Standards Agency, or FSA, in the U.K., Researchers purposely deposited the virus on produce and packaging like vegetables, baked goods, and canned drinks to observe how long COVID could live on their surfaces. The amount of virus placed on the grocery products was chosen based on an estimate of how much of the virus would likely land on the items through respiratory droplets, for instance, if someone sneezed or coughed near them. FSA concluded that the proportion of foods or food packaging with COVID-19 contamination on their surfaces is extremely low, but not negligible. Here are the foods that COVID lived on the longest and how you can be the most protected from the virus as you consume your groceries. Five Groceries That COVID-19 Can Live On For Days When tested at different temperatures and humidity levels, based on the usual storage methods for certain grocery products, COVID-19 was able to live on these five products for days. Number one, broccoli, up to five days. Number two, cheese, several days to a week. Number three, chilled meat, several days to a week. Number four, plastic surfaces, including plastic bottles three days to a week. Number five, refrigerated fresh peppers, up to a week. Here's how to safely consume these grocery items. Thankfully, the surfaces of most foods saw a major drop in levels of the virus within the first 24 hours, including apples, pastries, and aluminum cans, so you don't need to do heavy-duty sanitizing. Still, experts suggest standard grocery shopping procedures like washing fresh produce and thoroughly cleaning your hands before preparing and eating foods. The public may be interested in the finding that virus may persist in an infectious state on foods and food packaging surfaces for several days under certain common conditions, FSA wrote. There is the possibility of transmission through contaminated food if the food is in direct contact with the mouth and mucous membranes, FSA wrote. Up next, standing up straight might not be as beneficial as we thought. 
We are told to stand up straight from a young age, but experts say there's more to spinal health than good posture. By Jillian Wilson from HuffPost. From a young age, we're told to stand up straight. Many people probably even have memories of walking around the house with a book on their head to help improve their posture. But why is it even important to do this? What exactly does good posture mean for you, health-wise, anyway? It may be a little aesthetic. We're taught that models with perfect posture are what we should aim to resemble, and it has some science-backed perks. But based on the years of posture reminders and even at-school posture checks, there are probably fewer benefits than you thought. Here, experts weigh in on posture and whether having good posture is truly beneficial for your health. Or total BS. First, what is good posture? According to Dr. Scott Malozzi, a spine surgeon at UConn Health, having your head centered above your pelvis and your feet is considered proper posture. Your neck and head shouldn't be slouching forward or backward. Instead, you should be up straight with your head, pelvis, and feet in alignment. That said, one posture does not fit all. Added Dr. Mark Kuralt, medical director at the Musculoskeletal Institute at the University of Texas at Austin, due to conditions like arthritis of the spine, slumping over feels better for some people, particularly for older individuals. To have that person sit straight and arch their back all day long would be painful, Kuralt said. So, what is good posture for one person may not be possible for another. Plus, when it comes to our bodies, age-related change is part of life. Kuralt explained, "It's natural for your spine to evolve and require different postures throughout your life. What would you think your spine is going to look at at 60? Would you expect it to look like you're 30, or would you expect changes?" Kuralt asked. "Good posture for you may shift, and that's totally normal. Is standing up straight good for our health?" The answer to this differs. Dr. Amit Jain, minimally invasive spine surgery chief in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Johns Hopkins Medicine, noted that good posture results in reduced wear and tear of the spine. According to the National Institutes of Health, slouching can cause your spine to become more fragile and make it more prone to injury. While good posture doesn't necessarily mean you won't develop back issues one day. Having good spinal strength could help you better manage it if you do have to deal with these conditions in the future, Malozzi added. Your muscles will have to work harder if your posture results in an uneven distribution of weight or an unfair strain on your body. For example, people who droop their necks to look at their phones or other handheld devices often suffer from text neck, which creates additional strain on the body. Ciara Capo. A chiropractor in California told Healthline that the human head weighs 10 pounds. For every inch your head is tilted forward, the weight your neck has to carry doubles. So that hunched-over texting posture is certainly not doing your neck muscles any favors. But standing up straight may not fix any health problems either. It also won't necessarily save you from any existing back issues. There is very little, if any, evidence to support posture and either reduction in current pain or prevention of future pain. Kuralt said, 
In fact, Kuralt pointed to a study that notes that the practice of generic public health messages to sit up straight to prevent neck pain needs rethinking and found that slumped posture in teenagers resulted in less neck pain in young adulthood. So should I not care about good posture? Instead of constantly reminding yourself to stand up straight, you may want to focus on strengthening specific muscle groups. By working out, you're allowing these muscles to better support your spine and help your body comfortably stand up straight without forcing it or making you feel uncomfortable. There are two muscle groups that work well to help you with posture, Malozzi said. The first group is your paraspinal muscles, which are the muscles that surround your spine from your neck to your lower back. If you have a strong group of muscles around your spine, your discs and joints will have to do less work because they're better supported, he said. The other muscle group that's important to work on is your core, which will further help support your back. You can work out these muscle groups by doing yoga, Pilates, or general strength exercises like planks, crunches, bridges, and shoulder blade squeezes. These exercises really do help people achieve this musculature that is supportive of good posture, Malozzi said. He added that some factors that impact posture can't be corrected with exercise. Issues like arthritis or stiffness of the hips just won't go away, but if you start prioritizing strength exercise early in life, you'll be more set up for success. The more you have of that good base to start, the more you'll be able to compensate if you do develop other issues, Malozzi said. Plus, by strengthening your spine, you're reaping the benefits of exercise, of which there are many. We know exercise is good for cardiovascular health, it's good for osteoporosis prevention, and people who exercise tend to have better mental health scores, Kuralt said. All in all, having good posture isn't going to be a cure-all, and the pressure you feel to stand up straight is likely unwarranted. Instead of focusing so much on standing up straight or sitting up straight, it's more important to incorporate different movements into your day. We think the fluidity of not being in the same static movement, sitting all day or standing all day, is important, Kuralt said. It doesn't really matter if you sit up straight in these positions or slump in these positions. Just being in one static position for eight hours a day is not ideal, he added. For example, you'll get tight from sitting all day in front of your laptop, and you'll likely be hunched forward with your neck poking forward while doing so. Jane recommended taking scheduled breaks from sitting at work or adding a standing desk to your at-home work setup. Ultimately, while sitting or standing up straight may feel right for you, it doesn't feel right for everyone, and that's okay. Good posture has debated benefits, including pain reduction and less strain on surrounding muscles. The pressure people get from family members about their posture is probably a little exaggerated. Hunching over in high school doesn't mean you'll have a hunched back for the rest of your life, but prioritizing good muscle strength through fitness and movement can help relieve some of the pressure that's put on our spine every day. Up next the number one snack to limit to reduce your risk of dementia, according to Science, by Carla Walsh from Eating Well magazine. You might notice something in common among the items that earned a spot on our list of six foods you should be eating every day for better brain health, according to a dietitian. 
They're high in antioxidants, fiber, and healthy fats. But one thing they, and most of the core components of the brain-boosting mind diet, are not super high on, the glycemic index, which is related to their impact on blood sugar. Often, foods that deliver a heavy glycemic load are rich in refined carbs, and a study published in the journal Alzheimer's and Dementia found that one time of day is most impactful to steer clear of these potentially brain-blasting foods. People who ate a daily afternoon snack high in refined carbs were more likely than their peers who opted for a lower-carb snack to develop dementia or Alzheimer's disease later in life. To determine this, the researchers used data from the three-city study, a French population-based cohort of more than 9,000 people, 65 years of age and older. They chose a representative subsample of 2,777 individuals from this group to complete a food frequency questionnaire for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks between meals. Each food consumed was scored on the glycemic index. Taking into account activity levels, total calorie intake, Mediterranean-like diet, their measure of diet quality, and type 2 diabetes status, the scientists discovered that total daily glycemic load and the glycemic load at breakfast, lunch, and dinner were not associated with risk for dementia and Alzheimer's disease by the time of their 12-year follow-up. The only eating occasion high in glycemic load that did matter an afternoon snack. They believe these standalone snacks, such as sweets, cereal bars, cookies, and sodas, might lead to more oxidative stress within the body since they're digested quickly and consumed solo, meaning without fiber-rich side dishes or healthy fat-based dressings, compared to more balanced meals. As a result, they spike blood sugar and create a favorable environment for insulin resistance, the researchers note. Make it a daily afternoon habit, and this could lead to chronic inflammation and impaired glucose uptake, two factors associated with risk for Alzheimer's disease and dementia. During meals, carbohydrates are rarely ingested alone, and their degradation and absorption rates during digestion are modified by the other macronutrients, the scientists note, and point out a fascinating detail about the best way to possibly eat a meal. The order of food macronutrient intake also changes the glycemic and insulinemic responses, they say. Insulin resistance is more likely when high glycemic index carbohydrates, such as rice, are eaten first and then vegetables and meat, compared to eating all these foods together, they said. The bottom line. A colorful plate full of whole foods is important any time of day, but this study is a strong reminder that balance is crucial not just at meals, but for snacks as well. Eating more complex carbs and keeping meals and snacks balanced with fiber, fat, and protein, in addition to those carbs, can help keep blood sugars balanced, says Victoria Seaver, MSRD, a registered dietitian and Eating Well's deputy digital editor. It's a healthy strategy for everyone for overall health, in addition to cognitive health, she says. Up next, LASIK patients should be warned of complications, FDA draft says. Draft recommendations by the agency describe dry eyes, visual disturbances, and other side effects of the procedure. Surgeons say the benefits are being ignored. By Roni Karen Rabin, 
from the New York Times. Patients considering LASIK surgery should be warned that they may be left with double vision, dry eyes, difficulty driving at night, and in rare cases, persistent eye pain, according to draft guidance by the Food and Drug Administration or FDA. After surgery, patients may still need eyeglasses, the document warns. If put into effect, the agency's warnings are likely to come as a surprise to many Americans who view the procedure as safe and commonplace. Every year, more than half a million adults undergo LASIK surgery to correct poor vision. The operation involves reshaping the cornea, the clear round dome that covers the front of the eye and focuses light on the retina at the back of the eye. The surgeon cuts a thin flap in the cornea and folds it back, and then uses the laser to sculpt the cornea. Afterward, the surgeon replaces the flap. The operation normally takes less than 15 minutes per eye, and patients usually must pay thousands of dollars out of pocket since the procedure is not covered by insurance and is considered cosmetic. LASIK surgeons who point to surveys showing that 90 to 95 percent of customers are satisfied often promote the procedure by offering free consultations and steep discounts. The FDA document is not final. More than 600 individuals and professional groups have weighed in with comments since the draft of the guidance was made public in July, and the agency is now reviewing the input while preparing the final documents, officials said. Organizations representing surgeons and medical device manufacturers have gone on the offensive, accusing the FDA of meddling in the practice of medicine and saying the information is one sided and will needlessly frighten patients. Many ophthalmologists say LASIK is the safest procedure done on the eye and that serious, long lasting complications are rare. All we're asking for is balance, said Dr. Vance Thompson, incoming vice president of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. This document mainly emphasizes the dangers and complications of LASIK, with no mention of the advantages, and the tone is negative enough that it will scare patients, he said. He noted that over 90% of patients in the FDA's own studies expressed satisfaction with the results because they are achieving good vision without spectacles, which is the goal of most patients, he said. But according to the FDA's draft guidance, a few LASIK patients have become severely depressed, even considering suicide after experiencing complications from the surgery. Certain chronic conditions, like diabetes and some medications, may put patients at risk for poor outcomes, the document says. The FDA guidance has been in the making for over a decade. The document states briefly that the surgery is done to reduce dependency on eyeglasses, but most of the 29 page draft guidance is about the risks. While surgeons and device manufacturers are calling for the draft to be withdrawn in its entirety, critics of the procedure say the focus on risks is appropriate since the procedure is performed on healthy eyes, not to treat an illness. I've been waiting 14 years for this to happen, said Paula Kofer, a Florida woman who testified before the FDA in 2008 and in 2018 that LASIK surgery ruined her eyesight and left her with chronic pain. The new warnings would provide critical information for consumers, she added. 
Right now, even if patients do research on the Internet and see warnings, they think it's just one or two unhappy people. Now they see it's the FDA saying this, she said. The FDA is proposing a patient decision checklist that describes LASIK surgery, noting that corneal tissue is vaporized and that corneal nerves may not fully recover from the incisions, resulting in dry eyes and or chronic pain. Even after healing, the draft says, the cornea will never be as strong as it was before the surgery. In comments to the agency, some patients said they had life-altering complications and vision loss, while others raved about their results. The professional organization representing optometrists who perform vision tests and prescribe eyeglasses and contact lenses praised the draft and recommended adding even more precautions about LASIK surgery for pregnant patients and those with irregular astigmatism. The Medical Device Manufacturers Association, on the other hand, accused the FDA of overstepping its authority and impermissibly regulating the practice of medicine. In an emailed statement, agency officials dismissed the criticism, noting that the FDA routinely issued labeling guidance to ensure that both providers and patients understand the benefits and risks of medical devices. Last year, the FDA enforced a so-called black box warning and a new label on breast implants and said healthcare providers needed to review potential risks like cancer with prospective patients. In 2018, the agency restricted the sale of a permanent contraceptive implant called Ishore to doctors who would review a list of safety concerns with prospective patients. The device was removed from the market shortly afterward. The agency's draft draws on the 2017 findings of a study on patients' outcomes with LASIK, a collaboration between the FDA and the National Eye Institute and the Department of Defense. It assessed visual symptoms before and after LASIK. The FDA also performed its own meta-analysis of peer-reviewed studies published between 2013 and 2018. The first study found that three months after LASIK surgery, nearly half of patients who had no visual symptoms before the procedure had developed a new visual aberration for the first time, most commonly halos, which are starburst shapes around lights. Close to one-third reported dry eyes at three months. The study's authors wrote that patients undergoing LASIK surgery should be adequately counseled about the possibility of developing new visual symptoms after surgery before undergoing this elective procedure. Still, more than 90% of patients said they were satisfied with the outcome. The agency has conducted its own analysis, finding that six months after surgery, 27% of patients experienced dry eyes and 2% had difficulties that prevented them from engaging in their usual daily activities. Five years after surgery, according to the FDA, 17% of patients still relied on eye drops, 2% continued to experience visual disturbances, and 8% still had difficulty driving at night. FDA officials said they did not know when the guidance would be finalized. Critics of LASIK are concerned that many patients will not have a chance to see the warnings because the agency is not making a review mandatory before surgery. The guidance and checklist should be provided by manufacturers and given to physicians and patients before a procedure and used to enhance the physician-patient discussion of risks and benefits. 
but reviewing the information with patients is only a recommendation, agency officials acknowledged. That's problematic, said Diana Zuckerman, who heads the National Center for Health Research, a nonprofit think tank that analyzes research on medical and other consumer products. The question is, are they actually doing anything that will make a meaningful difference to patients, she said. And I don't think they are, she said. Dr. Zuckerman is concerned that patients will see a checklist for the first time when they come in for their scheduled procedures, after they have already decided to get LASIK surgery, or after they've already put down a non-refundable deposit, she said. We think they should review the checklist before they give a deposit and at least a week before the scheduled procedure, Dr. Zuckerman said. And finally, there's this from Nice News. The holiday season, the time between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day, is largely defined by get-togethers with family and friends, often over food. Whether your spread involves latkes for Hanukkah, an Italian feast of seven fishes on Christmas Eve, or black-eyed peas in the new year, the tradition of cooking and eating food with loved ones is uniquely human. The story of human evolution has appeared to be the story of what we eat, anthropologist Matt Sponheimer told the Associated Press. Our ancestors likely began cooking with fire nearly two million years ago, and the earliest known evidence of this is 780,000-year-old fish leftovers. Mmm, I will not be serving that this holiday. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.